If you are rejecting the truth of the Scripture because you think you are making an intellectual decision, let me just confront you and say your decision is not intellectual, it is moral. That's what Jesus says. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What is the testimony of Jesus Christ as it relates to knowledge and truth? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Jesus Christ believed in absolute truth. He affirmed both the Old Testament and His own words are true. And at the same time, Jesus affirmed that truth can be comprehended. In other words, Jesus taught the standard of truth and was fully confident his people would be able to understand it. In today's message, Tom will continue to show Christ's own testimony that the Old and New Testaments contain the record of God's actual words. And in those words are the truths he intends to communicate to the world. What an encouraging and comforting reality. Let's join Tom now as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. The Emmaus Road disciples are reporting to the other disciples what they experienced. Verse 36, while they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst, but they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, they were doubting their senses. They were doubting the reality of what they were observing and, and noting. And Jesus says, don't. Notice what he says in verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of, of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. You see, what Jesus is saying is certainly any individual can lose touch with reality, but normal human beings in the normal function of life, Jesus says, can trust their senses and their observations, their touch, their, what they see, what they hear. Now, why is this important? Because it means that normally when you read the Scripture and the words you read in Scripture, you are not imagining. You don't have to distrust your senses. You're reading the words you think you're reading. Again, that seems obvious, but not with postmodernism. Jesus affirms the basic reliability of sense perception. He also affirms the foundational laws of logic. Robert Raymond writes, Christians believe that their God is rational, that is, He is logical. This means that He speaks in a way that indicates that the laws of logic are laws of thought, listen to this, original with and intrinsic to Himself. God doesn't contradict, He's not irrational. So let me just give you two laws of logic that Jesus clearly affirms that fly in the face of postmodernism. First of all, Jesus affirms the law of non-contradiction. That is, that a proposition and its denial cannot both be true. You can't have this proposition and its denial and say, well, it's all true. Formally stated, it's stated like this, 
A cannot be A and non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. Put even more succinctly, 1 John 2.21 says, no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. In other words, contradictory propositions can't both be true. That's what the world tells us. But Jesus affirms that's not possible. He also affirms the law of the excluded middle. A proposition is either true or false. A moral proposition cannot be both cannot be both true and false, and there's no middle between true and false. John 8, Jesus expresses it this way. He says, the devil does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The point is, it's true or it's error. It's truth or error. It's, it's true or it's a lie. He denies that middle between the two. Now, again, those, those seem like they should be obvious, and for most of us, we work in a real world where we affirm those things, but the philosophers deny them. Jesus affirms them. Let's move on. Secondly, Jesus affirms that language is fully capable of expressing truth from one mind to another. John eight twenty six. The things which I heard from God, these I speak to the world. He says, I heard what God communicated to me, and I have now spoken that to you. John 12, 49, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And Jesus is implying, that's what I've spoken. You've heard me. You understood that. Language can, in fact, express truth from one mind to another, whether it's from the mind of God to Christ or whether it's from Christ to those who heard him. Robert Raymond writes this, every theory that would endorse the idea that literal truth cannot be revealed or communicated propositionally from God to man because language per se is incapable of such is ultimately attack against Jesus Christ. For in the days of his flesh, Jesus Christ taught the multitudes using the known languages of Aramaic and Greek, claiming as he did so that he was imparting eternal truth, end quote. Number three, Jesus affirms that God has revealed his absolute truth to us through human agents, language, and propositions. You see, the Old Testament clearly stated about the Word of God points such as this. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled or stands firm in heaven. Psalm 119.160, the sum of your word is truth. When you look at all of Scripture, it is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. So whether you're looking at a specific ordinance of God, a specific statement of God, or whether you're looking at the sum total of them, it's truth. That's what Jesus affirmed. He affirmed it of the Old Testament Scripture. One of my favorite passages is Matthew 5, where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the Old Testament in verses 17 and 18. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest Hebrew letter, not the smallest pen stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Law and the prophets was, was Jewish shorthand for the entire Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the 39 books that make up our Old Testament. And Jesus says that body of writing will be accomplished. It's entirely true to the smallest Hebrew letter that looks like our apostrophe, and even to the smallest pen stroke that distinguishes one letter from another. Think of our capital O in English and our capital Q. Those are distinguished by just a little squiggly line at the bottom. That's the kind of thing he's talking about in Hebrew. It's entirely true down to the the last pen stroke. Christ often affirmed the Old Testament canon's truth claims. He always called the Old Testament the Word of God. In John 10.35, He says, the Scripture, the holy writings cannot be broken. By the way, in context, His argument there is based on one word from the Hebrew Old Testament, the word God's. The Scripture cannot be broken. Twenty-four times in the gospel we read something like this, it is written, followed by an Old Testament quotation. Jesus absolutely affirmed what we call the Old Testament as the Word of the living God. God has also revealed His truth, Jesus taught, in Jesus' own teaching. In Jesus' own teaching, John 7, 16 Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. John 8, 40, you are seeking to kill me. Listen to this. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. John 17, 14, Jesus is praying in His high priestly prayer, and He says, Father, I have given my disciples Your Word. And I love John 18, 37. He's before Pilate, and Jesus says this, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus affirmed that God had revealed Himself through His own teaching. Thirdly, also in the apostles' writings, Jesus pre-authenticated the truth of the New Testament by choosing those who would write it. And he explained how the authors, the apostles, would be protected and guided in their writing. In John 14, 26, he says to his disciples, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. It's not a promise to you. It's not a promise when you take your next test at school. That's a promise to the apostles that when it came time for them to write, the Holy Spirit would teach them what Christ had not had time to teach them and that He would bring to their remembrance all that happened. So when John writes 50 to 60 years later, writes his gospel, how did he remember all that? You say, I can't remember what I did yesterday. The answer is Christ said, I will make sure you remember through my Holy Spirit. Folks, Christ could not have been clearer or more direct about His confidence in the truth of the Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, both the Old Testament, what He Himself taught, and what He would teach through His apostles, the ones He chose as His proxies. To reject the truthfulness of Scripture is to reject the testimony of Christ Himself. 
There's a fourth affirmation Jesus made about truth, and that is truth can be rationally comprehended by the mind. Again, that seems pretty obvious to us, but it's not obvious in a postmodern world. Jesus affirmed this in Matthew 12, verses 3 and 5. He says to the religious leaders of Israel, have you not read? He uses that same expression seven times in the Gospels, rebuking them. Jesus, in saying that, is calling for a straightforward, rational, grammatical, historical interpretation of the Scripture. He says, you can understand this. Read it. You should be able to get it. In Luke 24, 25, he said to his disciples, particularly to the Emmaus Road disciples, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Jesus says the problem is not what you understand. The problem is not believing what you understand. So the truth of God's Word can be comprehended and understood by the use of the mind. Number five, the truth propositions in Scripture have only one meaning, the author's intended meaning. Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, Jesus said, you are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures. Jesus said, you have misunderstood what the Scripture writer intended to communicate. In saying that, he was affirming that a passage has one meaning, that meaning is the author's, and that that single truth can be understood. In John 5, 39, he says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Jesus told them, listen, in your search of the Scriptures, you have missed the intention of the biblical authors, and in so doing, you've missed the Scripture itself. He was affirming that the meaning is the author's meaning. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, there are a lot of things Jesus did I didn't write about, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. John says, I've selected this material with one purpose in mind, and I expect you to be able to understand and get that purpose. Now, where did John the Apostle get such a non-postmodern idea of truth? The answer is from our Lord Himself. Look at, there are a lot of other scriptures I would like to call your attention, but in the interest of time, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter says this, notice what he writes, in all of Paul's letters are some things hard to understand which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. Do you see what Peter is arguing there? He's arguing that Paul's letters are to be interpreted in keeping with authorial intent. The community doesn't decide what Paul means. You don't decide what Paul means. Our job is to figure out what Paul means. To come to any conclusion other than what Paul intended is to distort the Scripture and to invite the destruction of our souls. So, folks, the truth propositions revealed in Scripture have only one meaning, and that meaning flows from authorial intent. Number six, we can be certain of the one true meaning God intended to communicate. And again, this flies in the face of postmodernism. 
You don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. We can be certain of the one true meaning of a given passage, especially when it comes to the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Jesus made it clear that we can be certain about the meaning of propositional truth. Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 14. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been formally educated in the schools of the rabbis? Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. That's the source of my teaching. And then notice what he says in verse 17. If anyone is willing to do God's will, in other words, If someone is morally willing to do whatever God says, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying that unbelievers don't believe because they are morally unwilling to do God's will, so they reject its truth claims. Those who are morally willing are guided into the affirmation of the truth. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me say to you, if you are rejecting the truth of the Scripture because you think you are making an intellectual decision, let me just confront you and say, your decision is not intellectual, it is moral. That's what Jesus says. Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 43 Jesus says, why do you not understand what I am saying? There's a great question. What's the answer? It's because you cannot. The Greek word is dunamai. You don't have the power. You don't have the capacity to hear my word. That is to hear, receive, and understand and believe. You don't have that capacity. Why? Verse 44, because you're of your father the devil, and he's a liar, and you love lies. That's where you live. That's what you want. You don't want the truth. Verse 45, but because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? And the answer is in verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. So in chapter 7, we learn that the reason people don't believe is because they are morally unwilling to do what God commands, and here we learn that they are morally unable to understand and accept Jesus' teaching because of their nature. They're children of the devil. They love lies. Believers, on the other hand, understand and believe. Jesus said that His disciples were able to fully understand the propositional truth that He had taught, unlike unbelievers. Now, let me just wrap it up this way. Postmodernism's approach to truth, as I've surveyed it with you, as I've looked at what Jesus has taught, postmodernism's approach to truth has four huge problems. Number one, it's contrary to the clear teaching of Christ and the rest of the Scripture. I've shown you the teaching of Christ. I could go anywhere else in Scripture and show you the same points. Secondly, and this is ironic, Postmodernists have to use propositional truth statements to argue for their position. The very thing they say doesn't exist. It's an irrational system because they have to say 
this is true even while they say there is no truth. And this is universally true. Thirdly, the argument that there's no meta-narrative, there's no overarching explanation of reality, is itself a meta-narrative, an overarching explanation of truth. It is a logically inconsistent system. And here's a big one. Number four, postmodernism cannot be consistently practiced in the real world. No postmodernist wants his employment contract to be interpreted by the reader or by the community. He wants it to mean what it means. He believes in authorial intent when it comes to his contract. You see, postmodernism doesn't work in the real world. You can't live by postmodernism. It only works if you're talking about the Bible and you want to destroy it. It only works if you want to throw it out. When you believe what Jesus taught about the truth, the tragic consequences of postmodernism in the church are reversed. And you come to believe that, like Jesus believed, that truth is absolute, revealed in God's eternal Word. You believe that the Bible is filled not just with stories, but with truth propositions. You believe that we can be certain about the interpretation of all essential truths. You believe that sin is not subjective, defined by the community, but it is objective, revealed by the God who created us and has a right to tell us what to do. There are lists of sins in the Bible. And maybe most importantly of all, you believe that there is a distinct body of necessary doctrine that must be taught, believed, defended, and passed on to the next generation to be a Christian. Turn to Jude. Jude, our Lord's half-brother, makes this so clear. Jude, verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, fight for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. There is a body of doctrine that must be believed to be a Christian. Fight for it, defend it, and don't be surprised when there are people that attack it, even who claim to be Christian or claim to be biblical scholars. Verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Beware. Postmodernism and so many other isms that exist are out to undermine the truth of God because they come from Satan, the archenemy of God, and they want to do everything they can to undermine your faith. So here's the question. Are you going to believe some scholar on the internet, some guy who wrote a book who can't get his own life together, are you going to put your life and eternity in the hands of Jesus Christ, the only person in the history of humanity who's worthy of your trust? That's what it comes down to. I hope your affirmation is of Christ the Lord. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 10 of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will have part 11 for you next time, and we do hope you'll join us then. But Tom, what are a few practical ways we as believers can pursue the truths in the Bible? You know, it starts by affirming about the Scripture what our Lord Jesus affirmed. And that is that it contains the very word of God himself. It is the product of his breath as the words I'm speaking now are the product of mine. And then I think it comes back to putting forth the effort, maximum effort, to study, understand, meditate on the Scripture. You also need to find a biblical church, a church that truly teaches God's word. And at a personal level, Begin a Bible reading plan and ask the Spirit of God to really help you understand the Scripture. And finally, embrace and believe and obey the truth that you find. Give your life to understanding and obeying the words of God. Thanks, Tom. And friend, does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.